Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Where the River Begins by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Moody Publishing Company. And we are reading Chapter 4, The Cherry Tree Again. Francis heard no more of his adventure. His mother came down late on Sunday morning looking ill and tired and seemed to have forgotten all about it. After breakfast, she shut herself up in the bedroom with Dad, and their voices grew very loud. When she came out, she looked as though she'd been crying. Dad was in a bad mood, and the little girls were fussy, and Francis made himself scarce. Out in the yard, things were better. Fluffy clouds scudded across the blue sky, and two daffodil buds had opened right out and turned into daffodils. Birds sang everywhere, and it was impossible to feel dull. Things were shooting up out of the damp soil so fast that you could almost see them coming. He kicked his football around for a time, but the lawn was very small. He looked thoughtfully towards the gate, and then he stiffened and stared very hard indeed, for something peculiar had happened to the gate. There were ten brown knuckles arranged along the top of it, and two very bright black eyes peered through the cracks. Someone was watching. Francis knew who it was at once, and he was glad. Ron was not much of a footballer, but he was better than nobody, and he had not made a fuss or blamed Francis when they had nearly gotten drowned. It would be fun to talk over their great adventure, and because they had nearly died together, Francis decided to show him the hiding place in the cherry tree. He went and opened the gate just a clink, and Rom slipped inside and looked at him with shining eyes. I come, Francis, he whispered, glancing nervously at the house. You well? Your mom? She cross? Not really, said Francis. I don't think she really believed me. My clothes were too clean. Rom, there's a secret place where I go. I'd like to, like to take you if you like, but you mustn't tell anybody ever. Nobody knows about it except me. Rom looked startled. Yesterday, Francis had led him into terrible trouble, and he did not want it to happen again. He hesitated, but Francis seized his hand. Come on, Rom, he urged. It isn't dangerous. It's a tree. Hurry, because I don't want anyone to see us. Creep behind that laurel hedge and run across the grass. Now, quick, climb. Rom, quite relieved that he was not expected to disappear under the subterranean tunnel, climbed up nimbly enough with Francis after him. It was a tight fit, but they managed and sat there, pressed together, peering through the swelling twigs. We shall soon be completely hidden by the cherry blossoms, said Francis. It will be like a white curtain all around us. Look, Rom, there's Mrs. Glengarry putting all the cats out before she goes to church. She can't see us. She doesn't know we're here, but we can see her, and we can see everything. He laughed out loud, and Rom laughed too. The tree swayed slightly in the spring breeze, and somehow behind them the church bells were ringing. They opened the box and spread out their treasures, and Rom produced a packet of jelly beans out of his pocket. They sat sucking and swinging their legs and reliving their adventure of the day before. Rom felt happier than he'd ever felt since his arrival in cold, gray England six months before. All winter he had suffered from the chili bombs that he had never felt warm at all. School was miserable, and he had never made a friend because he was so small and shy and the English language was so difficult. The others had not meant to be unkind, but they were all in such a hurry and made such a noise, noise that he never found time or loud enough voice to explain that he would like to play too. 
so he felt very lonely and never really safe except at home with his mother and little sister. And now everything was different. He was sitting close to his little friend in the rather uncomfortable fork of a tree, sucking jelly beans and the birds were singing, the bells were ringing, and the English sun seemed warmer than he'd ever known it before. He expanded and began to speak the English language better better than he had ever done before. There seemed nothing he could not say in his own way. He talked about India, the journey, the plane, his family, whereas Francis talked about football and all the adventures he was planning for the future. The world seemed as bright as the daffodils in the sunshine until Francis said quite suddenly, Do you like school? Light died out of Ram's, Ram's eyes, and he shook his head violently. I not like school, he said, looking miserable. Why not, said Francis. It's all right. Our teacher's all right. We play football, go swimming. What's wrong with that? Ram turned quite tragic black eyes on him. I know like school, he repeated with a little shudder. I afraid. Afraid? Of what? I spotted... I afraid of spotty and tight. They run after me, and they say they do something bad for me. He was whispering and peering round as though spotty and tight might be hiding in the bushes, and Francis hugged himself excitedly for that sounded like the beginning of another adventure. Spotty was a rather overgrown thirteen-year-old with pimples hitting back at the world that made fun of his fat body and spotty face, but Tyke was something different. Tyke was strong and wiry and an excellent runner. He was all he would about with a cigarette hanging from his lower lips when the teachers weren't looking, and drank beer stolen from his dad. Francis thought he was wonderful and spent a great deal of time during lunch hour trying to make Tyke notice him. Both boys lived at his end of town, and they occasionally met them in the fish and chips shop. They're all right, said Francis. Why should they do anything to you? And anyhow, when did they talk to you? Rom's eyes looked, became even more frightened. They have a little house, he whispered, near our house. One day I pick blueberries, and, and I know that they're in a little house, and I hear them talk bad things, and I run away quick. Then they saw me. He shuddered. I ran fast, 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 and they take me. So he seized the collar of Francis' shirt. They say they do bad things to me if I, if I tell them, and they come to my house. They kill me if I tell he had worked himself up into a terrible state, and his hands were cold and clammy. He had never told anyone, but his whole life was blighted by the shadow of Sp- Spotty and Tyke. The thought of them haunted him at night, and he had nightmares in which he imagined they were coming in at the window. He was sure they followed him home from school, and once or twice they really had done so, in order to show him they had better well, he'd better watch out. But he had looked out, carrying his terrible secret all by himself until that sunny Sunday morning when the bird song and the sweetness of having a friend had made him forget his misery. He had blurted it all out to Francis, but Francis was safe. Francis would never tell. He could trust Francis, and he could tell him everything forever. Francis stared, and he was quite jealous that Tyke should have paid so much attention to Rom, and to think they had a place not far away a secret hideout where they probably kept knives and bombs. It was whispered that Tyke had once started a fire, and that he had other friends besides Spotty who smoked with him behind the gym. Perhaps they were a gang, and Francis could do something to make them notice him. After all, he was a very fast runner. 
Somewhere near the back door, an angry voice shouted his name, and he took no notice. Tell me about the hideout, he said. Where exactly is it? Down our street, another street, said Rom, talking very fast, and down end of the other street, fields and blackberries. And last house on the other street burned, and behind burned house, little house not to live in. There Tyke and Spotty and other boys go, and when I pick up blackberries, I hear them, and they see me in the little window, and they say very bad things to me. Yes, yes, said Francis, who did not want to hear that all over again, and when do they go there? I see them Sunday, said Rom. I see Tyke and Spotty, and sometimes others go along the road but before night. Do you mean about sunset? Yes, when it's not dark, but soon dark. I see them go. Do you see them come back? No, my mother, she pulled the curtain. How stupid he is, thought Francis, holding out his hand for another jelly bean. I should watch and watch and clock them in and clock them out. He was not listening to what Rom was saying any more. His imagination was carrying him away. Tyke was waiting for him outside the fish and chips shop, drawing him aside. Our gang needs a runner, he was saying, a very fast, small runner. How about it? He suddenly wanted to be alone to think and plan. I'm going in now, he said to Rom. You'd better go home. Rom looked disappointed. It had been so wonderful spilling out all his fears to Francis, and having shared them, he felt much less afraid. But that, there would be other days, plenty of other days, and he scrambled to the ground. I come again, he inquired timidly. Maybe, someday, said Francis, without looking at him. He'd almost forgotten Rom, and he stuck his hands in his pockets and soldered through the back door. As he turned the corner of the house, he nearly bumped into his stepfather, who was cleaning the car. Where have you been, said the stepfather irritably. You know perfectly well you, you, you were meant to help me wash the car on Sunday mornings, and I've told you before. I was only in the yard, replied Francis, suddenly kicking the step. You are not in the yard, shouted Dad. You, I searched and called everywhere. I'm sick of your lies and your laziness. It's just about lunchtime now, and this afternoon you stop right here and do what I tell you, and no nonsense. Francis escaped in the kitchen. His afternoon plans were all spoiled now, and he would have to wait a whole week till next Sunday. He aimed a hard kick at the chair leg, and then he noticed his mother standing quite still, looking out the window, her hands resting on the sink. It was as though she was watching something so intently that she never even heard him come in. They were quite alone, and she was quiet and not busy. If he went to her now and told her about the house and the cherry tree, then one day when Dad and Wendy and Debbie were out in the park and the blossoms were out in the tree, he could take the stepladder, and she would come and sit with him in the secret white world. He would be rather, it would be rather crowded, but he could sit up higher. He could buy some mints and they could talk, just like she and he, like they used to long ago when Wendy was still quite a baby, before Mommy started getting headaches and before Dad started going out all the time and getting, being so cross. If that happened, then he would not bother about Spike and Spotty. He would stay at home and be good and help her. He took a step towards her. Mom, he whispered. She turned with a start and the sight of him standing there with smears of green bark all down his clean jersey, irritated her beyond endurance. If he had behaved himself, her husband would have been in quite a good humor by now. It was always Francis who upset him, and the little wretch did not seem to care at all. He was grinning at her as though he had done something clever. 
What are you creeping up behind me and making me jump like that for, she said angrily. And where on earth have you been? You know perfectly well you are meant to help your father on Sunday mornings. You just spoiled everything, Francis. Now, for goodness sake, go wash your hands and don't start a row during lunch. He's here little enough as it is. Something seemed to snap in her, and she turned to the oven with a little sob. Francis fled from the room. The fragile white world of the cherry tree had vanished, and he knew that he would join a gang as soon as possible, a really bad gang that blew things up and hurt people. He wanted to start right away, and the only victim in sight was Whiskers, his own tabby cat that he had had since she was a kitten. She purred at the sight of him, but he ran at her and kicked her out into the yard as hard as he could and then slammed the door on her squeal of pain and fear. And tomorrow we'll read chapter 5, The Gang. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.